The six of us are here have worked together on hundreds, perhaps thousands of occasions, and there was always something, to me anyway, that was rather special about CBS and CBS Productions. And I think a large part of that, certainly in my estimation, was due to a man named Norman McDonald. You're here. He started as a page. He started as a page boy, worked up to an assistant director, a clock watcher, later became a, a director on his own, and I remember working on his first show, which was a rebroadcast of an old local show called Romance of the Ranchos, and it was supposed to go on the Western Network. Actually, I think it dead-ended in the basement. Nobody ever heard it. But at any rate, Norm started that way. He was a man of infinite good taste, of infinite good humor, and was able to somehow or other bring a cast together. Harry, he loved actors. Which you right. can't I say think it. that's correct. Yeah. He did. He loved actors and working together, as most of us did almost every week on Gunsmoke in particular, he developed a sort of a rapport which you find only in repertory companies. And I'd like to vote him thanks for what mm -hmm. he did for me. Oh, my. Indeed. I second that. November, 1805. We're near present-day Point Ellis, Washington State. You're hearing members of the Corps of Discovery, led by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. The American explorers have just reached the Pacific coast. Today there's no celebration, only the knowledge that winter is coming. They'll have to make camp, undersupplied, undermanned. They're worried. But these are men and women who for two years have trekked through unknown lands and waters, meeting inhabitants both friendly and hostile. The party held a vote on where to make camp. Participants included Sacagawea, the Shoshone guide, and York, Clark's African servant. On November 24th, camp moved to the south side of the Columbia River, near what is today Astoria, Oregon. And then they waited. The first harsh winter on the Pacific coast would mirror many yet to come for 19th century settlers. Disease was rampant, lives were short. After the Erie Canal was completed in 1825, joining the Great Lakes to the Atlantic Ocean. It gave Americans easier access to the interior of the country. Soon beaver trappers of the 1820s gave way to religious missionaries and anyone else looking for a new beginning. By the middle of the century, the West was populated with Americans, Spanish, French, Texans, British, Mexicans, Chinese, and those of the many tribes of natives slowly dwindling in size. 
Two generations after Lewis and Clark, the United States controlled most of its current borders. Inheritance. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with the American Legion, presents a story out of that great composite of visions, struggles, and victories of the American past. Our Inheritance. Inheritance was a joint production of NBC and the American Legion at the height of the Red Scare. It first took to the air on April 4th, 1954. The American Legion was at the forefront of the Red Channel's pamphlet which outed alleged communist sympathizers. The Legion's connection to the Red Channel's had long been disclosed by the time inheritance took to the air. It has been speculated that perhaps both NBC and the Legion hoped to distance themselves from McCarthyism as criticism for his tactics was rapidly growing. 57 episodes were produced featuring the best West Coast radio actors available. The writing staff spanned both coasts and included Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts. This episode on the Lewis and Clark Expedition aired on Memorial Day weekend, Sunday, May 30th, 1954, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. We all share in our inheritance. This month marks the 150th anniversary of the start of a great tale of adventure and daring, the trailblazing expedition of Lewis and Clark in 1804 through an uncharted wilderness to the Pacific Northwest, a vast territory known in history as the Louisiana Purchase. Theirs is a bright and brave chapter in the history of our then new nation. Tonight, we pay tribute to the courage, daring, and diplomacy of two young American leaders, Captains Lewis and Clark. It is the year 1803. President Thomas Jefferson has finished dictating a long letter to his private secretary, Meriwether Lewis. Send a copy of that to Vice President Burr, and that should take care of it. Yes, sir. You can transcribe it later. Right now, I want to talk to you about something I've had on my mind for a long time. Anything wrong, Mr. President? Not at all, not at all. No, as a matter of fact, you're about the best secretary I've had. But uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, I was very honored when you offered me the position, Mr. President. It's been quite an experience. Perhaps. I've noticed your restlessness lately, my young friend. After all, spending an early life in the woods, hunting, trapping, then a short career in the active army might cause a man to champ at the bit once he's saddled down with a routine job like this. Well, I'll admit it lacks in excitement at times, sir, but it's, it's highly interesting. Yes, the inner workings of a government do have their tense moments. But uh, tell me, are you familiar with the territory known as Louisiana? Of course, sir. Hmm. Then you also know that we're under negotiation with France for the purchase of that territory. Yes, sir. Now I'd like to pose a very pertinent question. Just what are we buying? Uh, I'm afraid I don't follow you, Mr. President. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, the Louisiana Territory is vast, almost unexplored. And I have reason to believe that our negotiations will be successful. That territory will become a part of our nation. But is it good land, rich land, valuable and fur, conducive to settlement? 
I can appreciate your concern, Mr. President. Well, then, you can also appreciate the need for exploration of this territory. It must be charted, must be mapped. Many questions concerning it must be answered. Oh, then you, you propose such an exploration at this time, sir? I do. In the past, I've helped instigate a few attempts at exploring our western regions. They failed. But I propose one now that I hope and pray will not fail. Yeah, you sit back, Lewis. You're about to fall off the edge of your chair. Oh, <laughs> oh of course. <laughs> I knew such a conversation would excite you, my young friend. But from my observations during these two years that you've assisted me, excitement of youth is not your only attribute. Courage, honesty, much daring are a part of your composition. Lewis, the leadership of the expedition is yours for the asking. I'm overwhelmed, sir. Uh, well, of course, if you don't want the responsibility... Oh, no, I... sir. I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> this is so wonderful, I don't know what to say. Ah, that's quite some time away, my boy. Perhaps your power of speech will return in time for you to say goodbye. <laughs> I'm sure it will, sir. I want you to take a new look at books, study for a while, botany and so on. Then we'll select your men and outfit the party. Speaking of men, sir, may I make a suggestion? By all means, it's your expedition. Recently in the Army, I renewed a boyhood friendship with William Clark. We often talked of adventure, and Will is probably as qualified as I am to lead such a party. Clark. In relation to George Rogers Clark? Uh, his younger brother, sir. There is no one with whom I'd rather share my command. Well, he comes from good stock, and with such an enthusiastic recommendation from you, how can I refuse? Uh, you write him and see what he thinks of the idea. I will, sir, right away. But I think I know what he'll say. This is the answer to a dream. Dan, may it answer all our dreams, Lewis. And I wish you the best of luck. William Clark was notified and quickly accepted. But there were months of preparation ahead. Nine years later, the Armed Forces Radio and TV Service commissioned a series specifically intended for service people and delegates. It was called Horizons West and told the remarkable 8,000-mile journey of Lewis and Clark's expedition in 13 parts. John Anderson was chosen to be William Clark, while the role of Meriwether Lewis went to radio veteran Harry Bartell. The American West. Once it could have been the British, Spanish, or even the Russian West. It became American primarily because of the explorations of two young army officers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Their pioneering journey stands as one of the great achievements in the history of the United States. <laughs> Hello, Sergeant. Welcome back, sir. Hope you had a tolerable trip. Well, I took a new trail from Detroit and ran into an Indian situation that looked tight for a little while, but you know me, Sergeant. Paymaster 1st Infantry can't let the men down. Here are my bags. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Who won the election? Jefferson. Noble Sir Thomas, the champion of the common man. Good old Mr. Jefferson. He made it. He made it. Huh. 
Republicans are all alike. No control. What was that, Sergeant? <clears throat> are you criticizing me or Mr. Jefferson? Just giving an opinion, sir. What this country needs is a ruling class. Sergeant, you're an idiot. Three cheers for Tom Jefferson! What's going on here? I'm trying to work. Oh, it's <clears throat> you, Lewis. Yes, sir. The sergeant just told me Mr. Jefferson was elected president. And you're letting everybody know you're friends with him, is that it? I voted for him, if that's what you mean. No, not exactly, Captain. There's a letter for you from him in my office. Come in. A letter from Mr. Jefferson? Looks to me like a personal letter. Well, our families are neighbors in Virginia. Here. It came by special messenger day before yesterday. Thank you, sir. This is a surprise to hear from him when he's busy taking over such a big job. Well, Captain, good news or bad? Dear Lieutenant Lewis, <laughs> I'll have to tell him I made captain now, sir. In view of my recent election to the presidency of the United States, I find that I will require a private secretary. Your tact and social adaptability, your knowledge of the Western country of the Army, has rendered it desirable for public as well as private purposes that you should be engaged in that office. If you accept, please obtain approbation from General Wilkinson and repair to the presidential mansion, Washington City. What do you think of that, Colonel? I am to be the new private secretary to the president. I don't understand it, Lewis. You, a secretary? Why not, sir? Well, if your written reports are any indication, you don't have a hand. You have a rooster scratch, and you can't spell. Come, Captain. Why would the president want you for a secretary? Very simple, Colonel. He likes me. Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Now, with Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark, listen to Chapter One, Mr. Jefferson's Dream. Years before he was elected president in 1800, Thomas Jefferson had dreamed of exploring the unknown lands west of the Mississippi River. Unknown lands that were said to contain wonders such as a mountain of pure salt and prehistoric mammoths. Now that he had been inaugurated, Jefferson was in a position to realize his dreams by sending what he liked to call a core of discovery into the West. Because of certain political and commercial rivalries, such an expedition would have to be kept secret as long as possible and would need superlative leadership. After considering a number of young men, Jefferson finally selected the leader, Meriwether Lewis, and had ensured the secrecy of the choice by offering him the job of private secretary to the president. My name is Meriwether Lewis, and I'm making what the colonel has called rooster scratches in my journal. In March of 1801, I was 26 years old, a captain in the 1st Infantry and paymaster for the regiment. I liked army life, even though being paymaster meant I had to travel constantly through the wilderness parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, and along the Mississippi frontier in order to pay the scattered troops of the regiment. I managed to make the rounds about twice a year. Anyway, on March 6, 1801, the day after I received my letter from Mr. Jefferson, I left the army depot in Pittsburgh on my way to Washington, the new federal city. The spring rains made the roads a slew of mud, and it took me over two weeks to reach the White House. 
Mr. Jefferson had gone for a short vacation to Monticello, but he left instructions for me to move into his quarters where I would receive free food and lodging and a salary of $600 per year, much better than captain's pay, I might add. So I unpacked and tried to get settled before the president returned. That show took on a personality of its own, very much like Gunsmoke did. A lot of the same actors worked them. This was a sort of a CBS group more than anything else. At that time, about that time, I think they figured there were approximately 1,500 members of AFRA, and about 400 of us did all the work. I think that would be a maximum at 400. 300 more than that. I know in my own case, I was doing at one time and another as high as five shows a day, having somebody rehearse for me at NBC. See, they were all very close, the studios. Do two or three one-man families. And <laughs> <laughs> Betty, I did Betty. 